Welcome back to episode 26 of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with DiabetesMind.com founder, Amy Tinderich. A little thing called diabetes is the daily... What's the recipe for innovation, you ask? Well, we were thinking it went a little bit like this. Timing, drive, wit, guts, a little bit of luck, and a type 1 diabetes diagnosis. At least in Amy Tenderich's story, all those factors came together magically when she received her diagnosis in 2003. Now a pretty popular hashtag, I'm sure you guys have seen it, this, uh, this D-blog hashtag, uh, it's become a pretty convenient way to track the diabetes online community, the DOC. Uh, but D-blogging needed its start. And in our eyes, we think Amy is one of the pioneers of D-blogging. She launched DiabetesMind.com, an incredible, incredible patient resource for anyone interested in anything diabetes and it's also got this really cool journalistic slant which we really enjoy uh, we appreciate their honesty their connection uh, plus uh, we, we really enjoy their real life interpretations of the latest diabetes research because we all know how hard it is to find uh, what that latest study on mice actually means and they do a really good job of that so we were proud to have her on the show more pumped because she's a trailblazer She's, uh, she's helped us all get to this point where we can connect in an online community. And uh, let us say this, because she was once a trailblazer doesn't mean she's done. She's got plenty ahead. I know she's just going to continue innovating. And uh, we were happy to have her on the show. And I know that you guys will also enjoy listening to her. Um, if you want to see any of Amy, uh, any of her posts, any of the things we talk about, we're going to list all of those in the show notes today. Or you can just head over to DiabetesMind.com. Just a few announcements before we get into Amy's interview. Gotta tell you, everybody who's using Amazon to buy their gifts, uh, to buy their daily supplies, to buy paper towels, it's helping. So thank you for doing that. Um, all you have to do is bookmark that link after you click it on diabetesdailygrind.com on the right side of our homepage, and it doesn't cost anything extra. We get a little bit of a commission back out of the Amazon coffers, and it really helps us keep the show going, uh, lets us keep paying Jonathan, really helps out a ton. Uh, also, if you are interested in organizing your diabetes life, we have a deal for you. It's with outofsightcases.com. All you need to do, go to outofsightcases.com, pick out your favorite color, your favorite brand, and at checkout, if you use the code REALLIFE2 at checkout, you'll get free shipping. Pretty good deal. REALLIFE2 at checkout. Free shipping. All right, those are our announcements. Be sure to stick uh, around at the end of the show for the iTunes review contest. But for now, let's get into it. Today's convo with Amy Tenderidge. Let's do this. Let's do it. Let's give her a call. <laughs> I like how you're having to lean into your microphone. <laughs> you probably could just shift it down. I know. Yeah, you're a grown man. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Is this Amy? Yes. Hi, Amy. <laughs> I'm so sorry that uh, we're running a little bit behind. Can you hear us okay? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Uh, how's the quality from on your end? You sound great. 
Your quality is great. We, oh, we have well, a we have you. a really interesting arrangement where we basically have the bottom of my phone into a headphone, so you can so you can hear us. <laughs> so it might be a little fuzzy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So if you need us to adjust anything at any point, please just let us know. Okay. No problem. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking time to uh, chat with us today. Um, but for another day, we'll tell you what all <laughs> led up to this podcast. And we're really excited that you had time in your busy schedule to spend it with us. So, um, yeah, welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay. So today I was online and I was I was reading around and I was just doing, you know, the, the classic, you know, D-blog D search, running, <laughs> running through the mill of, of things to read online. And I stumbled across your Vegas post. And... I mean, Amy, I got to tell you, like, it, whenever it comes to traveling with diabetes, there were so many things that happened to you on that trip that reminded me of <laughs> so many stories in my life. I mean, we we got to have you just talk a little bit about this, this Vegas family Please experience. Do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, so funny. It's like, um, seriously, Murphy's lost. Something's always going to go wrong. And <laughs> I feel like that's such the diabetes trick. Like it, you know, so much of it, of the challenges are just these logistical things of like, oh my God, I have to think about so many things mm -hmm. when I'm going to go anywhere. And you think you've got it all kind of wrapped up because you've got your nice, you know, supply bag and it's got all the different variety of backups in it. And still, you can just get completely screwed by, you know, something going wrong. And what really hit me was just like, oh, wow. Like, it was just as soon as I realized my pump maybe have died, it's like this whole sort of mental thing kicks in of my backup plan. Like, oh, my God, what am I going to actually do now? And to me, like, what was really, um, you know, it's sort of like a, if there's a blackout, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but. When there's a blackout, you know, I'm like, oh, no problem. I'll make something simple for dinner. We'll just have toast. And then I realized, like, oh, wait, no, the toaster doesn't oh, work. No. It's a blackout, right? <laughs> right? Right? It was like, oh, you know, that's okay. I'll just, you know, whatever. I'll just, you know, broil some, you know, something in the oven. Oh, wait, no, I can't do that either, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of how it was for me. It was like, oh, my God, my Omnipod is dead, which means that I also don't have a finger stick meter now. I, I was oh. thinking I could just, you know, test with that. But the whole thing was dead, so... Um, yeah, just, uh, definitely put a wrinkle in the, <laughs> in the relaxation. How did it affect the rest of your family that you were str having to struggle with all this? Were, was everybody kind of on so we were alert? With, um, we were actually with two families, my family. So I had three daughters and then, um, our kind of best family friends, which is, um, they have two sons. So it's like this other family of four. <laughs> so there was a whole group of us and, um, you know, my kids are pretty aware of it, especially my oldest daughter. She's super supportive and helpful and always seems to notice when, like, something is going wrong as opposed to other people don't, you know? <laughs> right. But um, I just felt like such a killjoy. That was the thing. It's like, mm -hmm. everyone's like, hey, we're in Vegas. Come on, let's go. Let's go get dinner. Let's go out, you know? And I'm like, um, I, you know, I kind of, I can't right now. And, you know, I was, my head was, like, kind of, you know, all taken up with this whole thing of like, oh my gosh, we're going to be cycling and we're going to be hiking the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. And I, if I have to go back on shots, like that's going to be so tricky. And, you know, I'm already starting to worry about, um, you, know, the, you know, just how I'm going to make it and whether we're going to get the pump in time, the replacement. And then, then oh, what yeah. had happened was, uh, as you probably read that, you know, so I call Inflet, they were fantastic. They're like, no problem. We're going to FedEx you a backup pump, you know, right away. It'll be there by 11 o'clock tomorrow, which is a little <laughs> awesome. later than we hope to leave, but that's okay. But, <laughs> but then but I realized, bad. like, yeah. 
I need my settings, right? They're like, okay, you got your settings. I'm like, uh, my settings. So I used to, like in the early days, I had it and I had this sort of little folder that I always kept in this sort of side pocket of my suitcase. Hmm. And it had all those readings and stuff. Yep. And I don't know, over the years, I think I took it out a few times to refresh it or whatnot. P.S. It's not in the suitcase. So I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. So now I'm going to have this pump and I don't know the settings. I can't turn on the old one to see what the settings were, you know, to transfer them over. So it's, you know, it's just like the whole diabetes, like, you know, cluster, basically. You know, for those that, for, for those people who aren't on the pump, like think, me, like Amber, but for me, I've I've had the pump my whole life, and so I have those settings too. And it, it's like it's like when you lose your iPhone and you forget to sync it before you lose your iPhone, oh, and then you're that. literally starting from square right. one. Ooh. And it's like, let's pick a right. basal rate that might be okay. Let's give myself some room so I can make an adjustment. So you basically have to restart your whole equilibrium again. Well, can I just, I don't know how easy this is, but what if you took a picture of your settings and had it in your phone? So there's like 60 different settings though. Oh, okay. Wow. So that's the thing. Yeah. So it's kind of complicated. You have this basal program. So when you print it out, there's like, it's like a three page report. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I have it, you know, (laughs) if you're like, if you're really um, quote unquote compliant, like what you do is when Uh. you get the the pump there's a little booklet you know that comes in the kit that you're supposed to write those down but you know over the years you change them with your you know you tweak things right um i made some changes with my endo and also some changes on my own of like hey i'm always kind of high you know before lunch so maybe i had like adjusted my you know basal to be a little bit higher and whatnot and if you don't have that recorded i mean it's correction factors and it's all sorts of stuff so right. you know it's just it was just a big reminder to me that i need to keep that in a in a good place and and my colleague mike was saying you know you should like just email it to yourself so then you have it in your email you can always <laughs> that's a good up. idea like, too good that's idea a, that's a great idea <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we will if, put that in the show notes people the here is yeah how to handle it god yeah that's that's good advice it's good advice when for somebody who's never even really considered the pump i'm not gonna lie this is not turning me on to ever want to try it i'm already a wreck <laughs> trying to keep myself together so but you know, no, but I mean, I guess that's true for anything. I've also had trips where, like, I had, I thought I had a plenty of insulin with me, and then I broke a vial, and then it turned out the other one was a little bit, like, old, or yeah, had gotten out yeah. the sun, and next thing you know, you don't have any insulin that's fresh, and, like, that's a huge panic. So it feels like no matter how much you prep, like, you know, Something's gonna something go wrong. is yeah. going to go wrong, and, you know... So, um, yeah, so definitely, I mean, my family was great about it. They were, you know, they're super supportive, but it's harder with other people because I know they're trying to be empathetic, but they don't really, you know, they're like, why is it such a big deal? You know, (laughs) and I think I mentioned in the post that, you know, this one friend of ours, I mean, the guy's a nurse. And he's like, oh, okay, you just do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I know he meant well, but I just, it's like, oh, my I will God. punch you in the you face. <laughs> it makes it sound so simple. It's just not that simple. I, I laughed so hard whenever you said that. Because whenever whenever I'm in medical school, you know, we're, we're going through these classic teachings of how to manage type 1 diabetes. And something will happen for me and one of my, my med student buddies will be like, Ryan, why don't you just take some insulin? I'll be like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, yeah, it's a, yeah, palm face for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I have to tell you, even this morning, I was at the gym this morning early, and um, I ran into this woman who I know there, and 
she was, I don't remember how it came up, but she said something like, oh, you're lucky, you know, you're just lucky because you're skinny and fit and everything. And I looked at her, I just stared at her, and I looked at my shirt, and I'm like, I don't call this lucky, and there's my big old pump and my CGM on my belly. I'm like, do you know what a science experiment it is every single time I do a workout? Like, I don't consider that, you know, don't make it sound like it's easy. And she was kind of embarrassed, but I was like... Hey. You know, don't assume that, like, everything's easy for people, you know. You don't know what issues they're dealing with. Yeah. Exactly. You've got a seventh grade science project going on every time you hop on the treadmill. Every day. I, I mean, that's what it's time. like. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. So, yeah. For we, sure. Yeah. And I, I have to say, with all honesty, with that whole situation I never knew that everybody else was going through this I just felt like everyone this was everyone's life so in talking to Ryan I realized you know we do have a lot more on our plates there's so much more going on and it's nice to that the DOC is really showing that um you know daily life what whatever you're doing is, is a bit of a struggle at times and the support teams are incredibly valuable to being a well-rounded I feel like healthy person so yeah it just helps to have people around too that understand the difficulty involved. Yeah. Like your, yeah. your oldest daughter. I mean, that, that's pretty, that's gotta be cool. So it's not just all on right. a spouse or a friend, you know, to have somebody else around. For sure. Well, so anywhere, just. Yeah, I've had conversations with them over time. Actually, my middle daughter is the one who asked the most probing questions at times, <laughs> but you know, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Like people in your lives who don't have it like they just I feel like sometimes even if my husband asks a question like it's like doing something you know age appropriate for a child like you don't want to tell him too much because if you get too deep into it I can see his eyes glaze over like okay <laughs> that's enough information let's yep. just move on you know <laughs> you know just I'm like oh no it's like this and this and you know well I you know I have insulin on board but I ate this so I don't really know you know what's going to happen and I'm describing all this detailed math that I'm doing in my head and he's sort of like I just want to know if you're okay <laughs> exactly yeah Everyday Give me a empathy, thumbs up. <laughs> everyday empathy has bounds. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I know. I did a post a while back. I mean, it was several years ago now. Something like, you know, it's contextual, stupid. <laughs> because <laughs> I would have people, even even like um, CDE, sometimes like they would look and, you know, go, oh. So, you know, I test and they'd see like 178 and they'd go, oh, that's kind of high. Like, well, that depends. If I just had a burrito, actually, that's pretty darn good, you know? Right. Um, right? I mean, exactly. you know, is that kind of high? It really depends. Like, you have no idea what I just ate or how much, um, you know, uh, or if somebody will say, oh, that's kind of low. It's like, well, or, you know, I would test it and they'd be, oh, it's perfect and you're at 100. I'm like, yeah, but I had insulin on the board and I was about to go for a run. So that's right. actually a really crappy number right now. Right. You know? Yep. Let me ask you. I don't want to be 100. I had a unique conversation you know? with my CDE about um, the glucotabs or whatever they're called. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking the about. The glucose tabs? The glucose tabs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know they existed. Like, I've always just kept candy or other things. What? Um, I know. I know. Well, and let me say this. In that conversation with her, I was like, so let me get this straight. I can either eat a cranberry bar from Whole Foods, which I love, or I can try to scarf down four tablets that are dry and I'm I don't even I've never had one, so I don't even know what they taste like. But so here so you obviously carry the tablets. You have to think about like so the one advantage of the glucose tabs is that they're completely measured, so you know exactly how much carbs you're getting. It's True. all purely fast-acting carb. So you probably know this, Amber. If you eat a bar, you're also inge- ingesting fat and protein and things that will change. And fiber. First of all, you're also ingesting calories that you might not need. Like, you're not even hungry. You're just eating a bar because it's there. So it's extra calories. And also, it's food, so it's all complex and stuff. 
I need to get so those for my nightstand. Fatty, it's not going to hit you right away. So, I mean, the glucose tabs definitely serve a purpose. I understand. How, like, I'm with you. If I go low, I actually want to enjoy something, right? Yes. Like, I want something I like to eat. Yeah. But I find that sometimes eating a granola bar isn't the best choice uh, because it doesn't bring you up fast enough right, but it also right. bring, it also gives you a lot of extra that you might not really want at that moment well too. that's going to be good for nighttime lows I, I mean I even at one point I was having a really hard time with my hypos in the middle of the night and of course you binge eat which I'm not going to go there but um, I felt like I was putting on weight and I was like well no no, it's a no brainer I'm eating peanut butter at 3am so right. yeah <laughs> Don't do it. I, so you know what I also use um, are the <coughs> excuse me the um, <coughs> the gels like people use for cycling. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you do you know Level Foods, the company that makes these really nice gels specifically for diabetes. Uh, no, but we will look them up. Level Foods, yeah, we'll check it out. <coughs> they also make bars and shakes and stuff. Sorry, you guys. That's okay. You know, but, um, yeah, some of the things we've used before are those you know goose or uh, or cliff <laughs> cliff shots. Uh, the hammer gels, so all those different those, endurance though, guys, gels. Is yep. Those are for sports, so they contain a lot of caffeine. So if you eat one of those at night, you might be up. Like if you're someone who's sensitive to caffeine, right? Yeah, you got to. Yeah, you <laughs> definitely got to make sure. Yeah, you got to look hard on the outside of the label and be like, <laughs> does it have caffeine? Does it not have caffeine? You need to look <laughs> at that label before you get the hypo. That's got to be something you look. So at I would say so most true, of so those true. sports ones, and I'm very familiar with them because my husband's are like a heavy duty cyclist. Most of them have caffeine and stuff in them. That's why it's nice to try to find the ones that were made specifically for diabetes that don't have all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, not a bad. Not during a bad the thing. day, and you actually want to work out. That's different. But um, right. I realized if I was taking these gels and blocks <laughs> at night, like I'm, I'm really sensitive to caffeine. So I'm like, God, I'm all restless now. What's going on? You know. <laughs> What's so, happening? <laughs> in addition to the heavy dose of sugar, you've got the caffeine. Yeah, that's not a good combo, especially if you want to sleep. Hey, so, so Amy, are you coming to us? You know, I guess live from the the San Francisco Healthline Diabetes Mind office today. Yes, actually, yeah. I, um, I, Healthline is located in um, the south part of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I do okay. go in periodically, but I actually mostly work out of my home office. I've That's been nice. doing that for years and years. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and I travel a lot, as you probably know. I'm actually leaving tomorrow for a Medtronic event. Um, they're having their Medtronic Advocates uh, Forum again. Awesome. This year. Nice. So, yeah. Well, and we want to touch for people that are not familiar with Diabetes Mind. Do you want to give like a short, like, what's the mission and why did you, how did you get it started? Because you were kind of the, yeah. Okay. So I think I was probably like the second person (laughs) in the country to start a blog about diabetes. The first was probably Scott Johnson. He was one of the first people I found. (laughs) So um, basically, I mean, I'll give you my story in a nutshell, kind of. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. It was um, 2003, and I had literally just had my third baby. She was five months old, and um, I started, like, losing weight like crazy, like getting up in the morning, and I was skinnier than I had been the day before, so I was like, what the hell's going on? And what my husband basically forced me to go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I ended up in the hospital for a whole week, which was not pleasant, considering that I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-month-old Ooh. baby at home. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, so they basically, like, they were sort of confused in the hospital. They're like, oh, you, you know, probably have type 2 because you're in your 30s. And, and I looked literally like I had just been liberated from a concentration camp. You know, I was so skinny. 
and all like depleted. And, you know, so P.S. I come home, they send me to an endo. I find out that I have type 1 diabetes. I don't really know what that means, but, you know, I'm given this insulin and, and this crazy sliding scale that was printed out on a, you know, some kind of mimeograph piece of paper that looked like it was from <laughs> the 1970s. <laughs> and it was like way too much insulin, like way too much insulin. I, at that time, was in my honeymoon, so I only needed like a half a unit for breakfast. And they had these guesstimates, you know, four units for breakfast, six mm-hmm. for lunch. So I was having like severe hypoglycemia two and three times a day. Oh, oh I bet. Yep. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I, I kid you not. Oh, for sure. And so after, you know, I've got these kids to take care of. I was afraid to get in the car with them. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. I'm, you know, a trained journalist. I work here in Silicon Valley. I write about technology. Like, I'm an educated person. Like, I should be able to figure this out. <laughs> so I started researching. After, you know, I was like, I can't live like this. This is crazy. So two things happened. One is, like, through a friend of a friend, um, I got introduced to this young woman so in her 20s who also had diabetes. And we went out and had, like, a cup of coffee. And it was, like, the most enlightening and most oh. motivating thing. It was so amazing to actually sit down to someone else who was like living with this. Right. And I'm like, wow, this woman has a good job. She's got a boyfriend. She's, you know, active and, you know, and she's doing it. And she was talking about how much it sucks, but she also kind of explained to me like how you have to sort of balance things. And so that was like super helpful. I'm like, oh my God, I need to meet more people who have, who are doing this. And then the other thing was my husband, um, who's also kind of in the media space, um, went to this new media um, uh, conference and came home and said, you know, you sh- you're going to be a blogger. That's going to be your thing. And I said, uh, sorry, I'm going to what? <laughs> like, what? So, so he had learned about blogging software, which is literally just coming out then, you know, like mm. the birth of social media. And right. he encouraged me to start this site. And he's like, you should just start writing about your experiences, which I did. And then I also, since, you know, I have a background in journalism, I just was like, well, I'll just kind of put on my, my, you know, journalist hat and sort of cover diabetes like it was my beat. So I sort of got the idea, well, maybe I can go to some of these industry events. I have press credentials, so why not, you know, just show up there and start reporting on stuff. So I think I was the first patient blogger ever to, like, infiltrate the big ADA scientific sessions back in 2005, I guess was the year when I started the site. That's awesome. Oh, that is so awesome. And I just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I start, you know, I wrote about it from a patient perspective, which mm-hmm. was kind of unheard of at the time. And people were a little bit like, wait, what are you doing here? Um, <laughs> you know, it was just, um, and I just started meeting people. And then, of course, um, a few months later, like the D-Life came into existence. Mm-hmm. And so there was like, you know, people doing stuff from patient perspective. And then clearly, you know, I all around me grew up this huge community of other bloggers and you know, sites. And it just, it was just amazing um, to be kind of at the epicenter of all of this. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I also, so a couple of years later, like if I kind of fast forward um, to like 2007, um, I had the opportunity to co-author a book um, about kind of taking your care, care of yourself with diabetes mm. with um, Dr. Richard Jackson from Jocelyn Diabetes Center. Oh, mm-hmm. He and I worked together on this book. So that was like a really cool way to say like, look at this, you know, a healthcare provider and a patient can work together to create sort of a handbook that actually speaks to people, you know. <laughs> so we did that. And then the other thing I was involved in, um, there's a company in um, Salt Lake City called Alliance Health Networks um, that was interested in, I had done some freelance writing for them. They were kind of loved what I was doing because they were, they had this big database of people with diabetes that they were servicing, with like newsletters originally. And they decided they wanted to launch, you know, like, oh, we're going to do like a social network. 
kind of like a, a specialized Facebook just for people with diabetes. You know, mm-hmm. they'll be like, wow, what a cool idea. You know, <laughs> so um, they, the, I helped them launch this site called Diabetic Connect, which is now one of the actually largest online communities. So huge, I worked with them huge. for a number of years as well. And, you know, yeah, it's really huge. And the, the interesting thing about that one is it has a lot more type two involvement than most other um, networks. So, oh, you know, that's, that's really interesting and, and good, you know, different conversations on that site than you would find, for example, on two diabetes or someplace where it's more, you know, the type one group. Mm-hmm. That's, so, a, you know, it's a really um, interesting anyway, point. So, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, so then, yeah. Yeah. And then, so what happened is like above and beyond the sort of citizen journalism and the idea that, you know, we could write all these stories and share perspectives and interview all these people and do book reviews and all that. Um, what happened in 2008, I guess, is I don't know if you guys are familiar with this open letter to Steve Jobs that kind of launched my innovation advocacy programs. Yeah, but, I read it, I've read about it. Um, yeah. yeah, so it was actually really funny. It was another thing where my husband and I had gone out for a drink one night, and this was like early on, so in 2007. And I was struggling in this sort of dark bar to test my blood sugar with this clunky meter. <laughs> and then meanwhile, I had my, you know, on the, my iPod right there next to it. And I'm like, oh, you know, what a disconnect. Like, here's this beautiful little consumer device. It's totally small and customizable and colorful and desirable. And it has this little scroll wheel. And it's just so mm-hmm. cool. But all it does is play music. And, you know, this thing that I need to kind of keep me healthy and alive is just kind of sucks. You know? Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's so hospitalish and so hard to use. And yeah. you know, it's like, why can't there be a scroll wheel? And why can't it be more like, you know, Apple-ish mm-hmm. design? So we have this idea. And it, it was actually just Providence that that same week, um, Apple had sold the 100 millionth iPod. And they were making a big PR splash about that. So, like, oh, what a great time to write this open letter to Steve Jobs saying, mm-hmm. you know, hey, Steve Jobs, like, you've made the most insanely great little device for, you know, for listening to music. How about helping us people who, whose lives depend on these medical devices? Mm. You know, why can't the consumer design gurus get together with the R&D folks in, you know, in medicine and pharma and start, you know, getting these things up to speed with consumer technology and, mm-hmm. you know, making them more desirable and more comfortable, like I said, more personalizable. You know, why can't you choose the ringtone, you know, when it's, if it's going to beep at you? <laughs> Stuff like awesome. that. <laughs> so um, this post that we did got picked it up. I mean, it got picked up by TechCrunch, which is like the, probably the world's most influential technology blog. And then from Decent. there, it kind of yeah. ricocheted around. It got, you know, ended up with stories in mainstream media, the Financial Times, CNET, Inc. Magazine. I mean, it just kind of went crazy. And some people started coming out of the woodwork, um, including like um, some folks from the Stanford Biodesign Group, you know, who had reached out to me and said, you know what, we, you know, we totally agree with you. We, you know, we, we've been working towards this as well. And, you know, how can we work together? And, and so we kind of realized that we were onto something, you know, right. there's, there's really like a, a, a campaign to be made here about this. It's time. So that's what was the idea, where the idea came from for this thing we called the Diabetes Mind Design Challenge. So it was, as far as I know, the first ever kind of open crowdsourcing competition that was kind of patient-run and uh-huh. patient-led, just completely what? like, hey, we're going to, you know, we, we ended up um, getting a grant from the California Healthcare Foundation so we could have $10,000 in prizes, which that's was kind awesome. of a big deal mm-hmm. for a little patient blog, you know? <laughs> 
and um, set this whole thing up. And we had um, a judging panel that included people from IDEO, which is a famous design firm, and also people like Gary Shiner and Steve Edelman, like, you know, kind of names in the diabetes world mm-hmm. who worked with us as well as judges. And we ran this competition for four years from 2008 to 2011. And we got every year hundreds of submissions from around the country and around the world, actually. Um, and we've done a lot of outreach to universities. So we have like Northwestern, Pepperdine, Stanford, MIT, Berkeley, um, you know, just the list goes on and on of all these universities that where students had these ideas. And by the way, one of those ideas that won our most creative category in 2009 was Jerry the Bear. So I don't know if you guys know Jerry the Bear with diabetes. Um, oh, which is this? Yeah, the di- when successful kids teaching are, mm-hmm. tool. Yeah, you know, I just saw it's it. It's actually a total success story. This, these, it was this group of um, design students or, or like interdisciplinary group of students at Northwestern University, and they just wanted to enter the contest that we made. So they came up with this idea for this teddy bear that would sort of have diabetes, and he would be able to teach little children about managing their type 1 diabetes and kind of be a companion oh, to them. It's an incredible and It was tool. like such a cute idea, but, mm-hmm. you know, they actually turned it into a business. Um, it's a company now called Sproutel, and they've been written up all over the place, and they're, like, super successful. So, Well, let me ask you. With <laughs> I'm the, really proud of that. You said you, got, you guys received tons of people wanting to be a part of the project. Do you, I don't know why you would know this, but the percentage of people that actually had diabetes I mean, oh yeah. So we, I mean, the 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 call was to patients, caregivers, but also to like tinkerers and you know, right. students, anyone. But I would say, I would just anecdotally say, like eighty five percent of the people who who submitted stuff over the years either have diabetes themselves or or were a caregiver of a child or somebody okay. very close to them with diabetes. That's a significant. So number. it was really yeah. from the so the, well because that was the whole idea. This is supposed to be. You know, we also said if you're already an established company, you can't enter because it was supposed to be kind of grassroots innovation, right? Uh, so, yep. um, oh. you know, so there were some kind of startup companies that had were like pre-launch um, that had that, you know, participated. But a lot of it was just, you know, people or student groups who had these ideas for things. And we still have the gallery up on Diabetes Mine. If you search around a little bit, it shows like some of the. Um, most interesting submissions that we got over the years. Oh, we'll pull that up um, and throw yeah. it in the show notes for, for this sure. episode for sure. It's so yeah. Uh, it was a you know it was really interesting. It was a mix of really simple things like little fixes where you think oh, you kind of want to hit yourself in the head and say, well, why didn't anyone think of that before? <laughs> like some kind of you know, like you know some really clever little um, container to hold your use, use test strips that you could sort of strap onto your purse or something. Right. You know, oh, where we're yeah. like, okay, that's a really cool idea. I don't know if it's a ten thousand dollar idea, but it's like, why didn't someone? <laughs> Why didn't someone make that, you know? Right. And then there were a number of things that were just super visionary that, like, weren't really possible yet because the science wasn't quite there, but the but the idea was super visionary. So, like, different designs for a combined insulin pump continuous glucose monitor, basically the idea for a closed-loop system, like, back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, that was actually, like, an armband um, or even one that was, like, an earring. I mean, the, and the <laughs> designs were actually very well thought out. The only problem is with the cannulas and... As you guys probably know, the, <laughs> the science of having dual, you know, dual sites is, is complicated. But it is. we, um, yeah, and, and the woman who actually won the 2009 contest um, was had this thing that was a, I mean, at the time again, very um, you know, revolutionary idea of basically making the iPhone be the controller 
for this kind of combined, in, you know, insulin pump continuous glucose monitor. And it even had like a little kind of case that allowed you to use the iPhone as a finger stick meter as well um, with a port and with, the, you know, the lamp sets and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And um, again, that has now obviously come to market in different, you know, um, <laughs> in, you know, in slightly different renditions. But I mean, basically, you know, this that's where, where the future was going. So she foresaw that. And the cool thing, too, was that she um, this woman got interested, very interested in um, the diabetes world. And we like kind of introduced her around and she ended up getting hired by Medtronic in their next generation insulin pump um, development group. So that was really, really cool because, you know, part of our idea with this contest was not necessarily that we were going to come up with the one big product, but that we would, you know, get people thinking about designing, you know, truly from the ground up with patients for what they need and also getting this kind of next generation of thinkers into the industry so that they would be able to start changing things. Well, and how it's pretty amazing how quickly technology is changing. And I, of course, I'm staring at the computer on a daily basis, looking at what's going to be available or what's available. And now it's nice to kind of see all these companies compete with each other because everybody has their own new system coming out. And I feel like for someone who's, I've always been on the same things, it's nice to see the advancements and that gives me more options. So yeah, kudos to the yeah, tech Yeah, I don't tech even world. know if you realize how far we have come. Like, oh. you, I mean, it's as a patient, like I'm the same way. Sometimes you feel like, oh gosh, you know, nothing ever changes. It's right. like I'm still struggling with this. But when I look back now on when I started Diabetes Mind and where things were, like, it's really, truly amazing. I mean, even then, right. when people mentioned closed-loop system or artificial pancreas, you could hear laughter cueing in the background. It was like, oh, that's such a pipe dream, you know, it's never going to happen. <laughs> and now we are so, you know, far ahead. I mean, we're literally inches away from one of those systems, you know, coming to market as a commercial product. It's yeah. it's truly incredible. I agree. I was I was diagnosed around the same time you were. I mean, I was I was nine years old whenever I was diagnosed, and so I, I've basically been on you know shots, but with the pump. And to actually think now that we're that close to having an artificial pancreas. I mean, and it's it's really. I just wrote a post on this mm-hmm. uh, this week, just talking about yeah, how so, yeah you know, oh it's incredible how close we are. Yeah, can you can you elaborate? Um, because I know you're yeah, you're dialed sure. in I mean, and so, you talk to people all the time about this. Well, and so to kind of continue the story of our work, I mean, so after running this contest for four years, we were like, okay, that's, we've done that. It was really cool. And it really got like this whole national campaign around improved, you know, design of of medical devices going. Um, And then a lot of groups started doing their own big, you know, innovation crowdsourcing competitions. And we're like, that's awesome. So what can we do next to kind of help, you know, push the envelope and, and, you know, encourage, um, you know, innovation that really comes directly from patient needs. So that's where the idea came from to start this conference series, the Diabetes Mind Innovation Summit. Um, We held the first one in 2011. Um, we, We do it every fall. Um, we've done it at Stanford School of Medicine for the past five years. Actually, this year we're doing it at UCSF Medical School, the big Mission Bay Center, this beautiful new campus in San Francisco. Um, but it really was like, okay, can we have a forum where we actually get these quote unquote stakeholder groups together to like really talk about real stuff, you know, what matters? So the top pharma companies and device manufacturers who are, you know, making these products for, for diabetes and mainly like the insulin delivery and um, monitoring products. And then, you know, regu- regulators, um, you know, some representation from the payers, um, uh, you know, 
the designers here. So the way that I see it a little bit is like I live here in Silicon Valley where you have all these amazing technology entrepreneurs and they're all realizing that they can do stuff with digital health and that they can make these really cool interfaces. But they don't obviously know how to necessarily make tools that really work <laughs> for, <Right. laughs> you know, pa- patients' real needs. You know, so, there, and then the pharma side, which is kind of legacy, you know, they think of themselves as, you know, traditionally they thought of their of their customers as being the doctors rather than the patients, right? Right. They would go, they would go to a doctor, you know, in a clinical setting and say, oh, I have this new meter, you know, how is this going to work? Is it going to have good clinical outcomes? But they weren't, Sorry, tuned into, um, you know, the way a patient would live with that product. So really what I see, you know, my role is like connecting these dots. Like, can we get the Silicon Valley energy and mentality and expertise and design together with, you know, the pharma company that better understands, you know, um, kind of needs, needs, at least from a medical side. But then, of course, the important part is where is the patient? They need to be in the middle of this. And so that's what we're all about. And that's why we do this patient voices contest for the last several years where we said, okay, we want to bring in like a whole contingency of, you know, really engaged patients who can, you know, kind of represent the community and talk about, you know, their experiences and their lives with diabetes. So we pick about 10 people every year. It's like, it's kind of like a scholarship contest saying like, why do you want to come? And, you know, what would you bring? And we usually ask patients to like give us some, some kind of um, input, like they have to, you know, last year was, the focus was on life hacks, so we asked people to kind of share some of their life hacks. Mm-hmm. Um, but nice. basically, you know, it's an exciting opportunity for us to bring in, um, you know, these. a lot of the people are bloggers from the DOC who are obviously real passionate about being part of this, and they get to connect with these amazing, you know, like clinicians who, uh, who are doing, you know, kind of, um, I would say, forward-thinking work at some of the biggest clinics around the country. Um, and then, again, all the pharma kind of movers and shakers. Um, we have representation from the major national um, advocacy organizations as well, obviously JDRF, ADA, and AADE. Um, well, and, you know, I just, and just bring all of these groups together. I just participated in something like this. It was um, Novo Nordisk. The future is now. What's next for diabetes management? And Yes, I know about the Novo Nordisk. So Novo Nordisk, what they're doing is similar to what Medtronic is doing this week and what I actually, we helped Roche do originally. That's a little bit different. So they are, um, so this actually started in 2009 when Roche approached um, myself and my partner and said, you know, how can we foster a better relationship with the patient community? Right. And we said, you know what? You know, online's great, but how about you guys actually um, host and you know an in-person um, meeting? Why don't you invite some of these blogger, group of these blogger advocates to come in and talk about real issues? And they, have, you know, they'll be able to get familiar with sort of the real people behind these big, big you know, pharma organizations. But at the same time, like to make it valuable for them, we should have conversations about advocacy and things that matter to patients. Well, so that, that Roche was... did that in 2009, and they kicked it off, and it was super successful. So I'm just going to tell you, over the years, a lot of the pharma companies have started doing similar things. And I know Novo called theirs the like, future of diabetes care, but really it's an, it was like more of an advocate forum, um, whereas ours is different than that. We're vendor agnostic. It's not hosted by any one particular pharma company. It's actually led by patients, and we represent uh... at least 13 or 14 of the different parties, everyone. All the pharma companies, you know, and originally they were a bit nervous about being there with their with their competitors. But I think we've gotten past that and everyone realizes that, like, we all want to work together to, you know, 
whatever they do that's good for patients is also going to be good for their bottom line, basically. You know, so it helps their business and it helps us <laughs> as patients to live better with this. It seems like most of this so, is, it stems from the the role that the, the internet's had and how it's given, you know, basically, you know, starting back with the, the genesis of the D blog and um, the, the newspaper that you guys have created. I mean, it's, it's really built this DOC and I, I feel like maybe, maybe you agree, but the internet has given the patient such a stronger voice oh, for sure. with the pharma companies. Um, and, and it's, and it's yeah, led to those closer bonds. Right. I, mean, I think you totally nailed it. I mean, before we had that, you know, and I talk about this all the time when I go out and do these talks is that before we had the internet, we were all, you know, isolated. I mean, and, it was hard to find anyone to relate to, but also we weren't able to have the kind of advocacy that we do now because, for example, if you were turned down, like you tried to get a CGM or get a pump from an insurance company or whatnot, and you got, you got denied, you had no way of knowing whether anyone else got denied or, or appealed or on what basis or, you know, whether there was any recourse for you. Like, there was just no way, and you know, and there was right. also no way for us collect, collectively as a group to sort of express our concerns and desires you know, now we can all get online and say you know what um <laughs> these cgms the original one you know the early versions they're just too hard to use and they're not making our lives easier they're making it more complicated like that's a really strong sentiment like consumer pressure that we just didn't there was no way to express that collectively before so you're absolutely right I mean, the internet has absolutely changed the experience of being a patient and given us this collective voice that we never had. Well, I feel before. like for somebody who's had, you know, I've had diabetes for 33 years. Um, what's really nice is that now I understand that the pharmaceutical companies are listening. They do want our input and that's a, you know, it's eye opening and refreshing um, for me as somebody who's using their product. So and there's not a day that goes by online in the DOC where you don't see somebody uh, call someone out in the pharmaceutical <laughs> yeah, area or right. the insurance arena and right. then get a response back like right. that day. Yeah. Thank you, social media, <laughs> that's because so it's powerful. helping. I mean, yeah. that's really powerful. Yeah. It really is. You know, it's so far from what it used to be just yeah. a few short years ago. So. Yeah, your only Absolutely. complaint was you were on the phone for too long and nobody else knew about it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Howdy. So we're on the street. It's back to school time and we just wanted to Put a little buzz in your ear and just remind you that if you click on the Amazon link to the right side of our homepage, uh, they throw a little change our way. So happy shopping and don't forget your glucose tabs. One minor inconvenience, a little thing called diabetes. It's a daily grind, it's a daily grind, grind and grind and grind and grind. <laughs> well, let's, I want to shift it in a little bit. I mean, we will definitely put um, all the links to everything we've talked about today in the show notes. But, you know, we want to speak to you about your personal life. And um, like you said earlier, you're fully aware that you're a walking science project is what I always say. And some days you get it and some days you don't. So, um, you know, Ryan and I both have talked about we just did a podcast about Ryan being vegan and a plant based diet and certain dietary choices. So since having um, type one diabetes, have you changed your, what used to be your regular like daily habits, food-wise? Oh, okay. So that's the other part of my story that I didn't get to share yet. So about seven weeks after I got diagnosed, I woke up in one morning and I had this weird rash on my stomach. Hmm. So okay. I was like, that's weird. And it was, it was kind of coming and going and it would like, then it would appear in different parts of my body. And I'm like, this is crazy. So I go to the dermatologist. Yeah. Dermatologist takes one look at me and laughs and says, you know, you have hives. <laughs> That's not a, really a skin issue. You need to go see an allergist. You know? mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, 
okay. So, you know, it's so funny. I make this appointment with the allergist. I get off the elevator, and in front of the door, it says allergy and immunology. And I was like, oh, you know, this light kind of went on. It was like, oh, I have this autoimmune disease, so obviously I have some immune thing going on that's making me happy. <laughs> Whatever. So I go in there and they're like, oh, you know, hives are like notoriously difficult to, uh, you know, diagnose. Like, have you changed anything in your diet or your life lately? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just got diabetes. I'm taking all these pills. I'm like eating all this low sugar stuff, like different foods. You know, it's all this. And then, of course, the doctor's a little bit like, oh, you're a young mother with these kids. You're all stressed out. He's kind of petting me on the shoulder like, you know, you're probably just stressed. I'm like, no, something's weird. So this went on for like six months. I mean, I was having like nasty, I looked like I had been burned in a fire some mornings. Like I'd wake up and I'd have all these hives all over my neck and my face and in places you don't want to know you could ever have hives. You know? <laughs> so um, I spent all this time like, you know, and finally one day I'm online looking at some listserv at the time and these parents are talking about their kids with type one and how they have celiac and how they have this uh-huh. gluten intolerance and that they can sometimes break out from that. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, so, you know, I went back to the doctor. I said, could it be this? And they shrugged their shoulders and said, well, you could try, you know, going gluten-free. And it took me a while because I don't know if you guys are gluten-free or have ever tried to be. But if you've not done it before, it's like, you you know, it's hard because you forget and you eat something. It's really you know? hard. And it's it's like, really you know, difficult. Yeah. yeah. So the thing is, to test it, you've got to have the gluten out of your system for, I think, at least 10 days. So the problem is I go for, like, you know eight days or seven days and then I forget and I eat a piece of regular bread you know so it took a while but um when I finally like literally you know just eradicated wheat from my diet um all the problems went away and never came back so um you know so I have basically gluten intolerance um you know my doctor said you know I kept saying well I need to know do I have like full-on celiac or what is it and he said well it's this biopsy test which is kind of uncomfortable he's like look you know you have a severe wheat allergy, so it's already the same lifestyle. So, you know, what's the point of, like, putting yourself through this extra test? <laughs> so, um, basically, you know, but I know for sure that's what it is because this has been now since 2005. And here's, an, here's a funny story for you. It was World Diabetes Day, maybe 2008 or 2009. And my husband and I were in San Francisco for the celebrations, you know, with, uh, with Manny Hernandez and Kelly Close and all the stuff we nice. were doing in the city. Oh, cool. And then we went to our one of our favorite restaurants that always had this gluten-free bread. And I was like, yes, I can finally eat a piece of bread. So I ate the bread and our wait, our waiter buddy comes over and goes, Oh, so sorry. You know, we started getting our bread from a different baker and it's, you know, it's not the gluten-free stuff anymore. And I just about fell off the chair and sure enough, I broke out in hives and I had hives for four months. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, at that point, my husband was like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe it's worn off by now. I and mean, it's been years since you ate it. You know, you, you know, why don't you try it? I kept saying, no, no, no. And then sure enough, I ate that one piece of bread <laughs> and I had a hive for four months. Like I went to the doctor and said, when is this stupid piece of bread going to work its way out of my system? <laughs> and he said, that's not how it works. It's like, um, it's like a light switch that switches on in your autoimmune system where it starts fighting back and it just kind of goes haywire. Wow. Well, yeah, it's like you basically mobilize. You basically mobilize. Can the, you hear us? Hello? Oh, man. Hello? We lost her. She lost hello? us. Can you guys hear me? Uh, yeah. We can hear you. Can you, can you hear us? You back. Can you hear us? Hello? Amy. Hey, Amy. Hey, I'm so sorry. I don't know. Well, the, is, is something, something happened with our recording setup, but we're back. We're good to go. Can you hear us okay? 
Yeah, I'm good now. I'm so sorry for the interruption, you guys. Oh, man. I think it was on our end, so no worries. I think something happened. Um, We're we're trying out a new recording system today through my laptop. (laughs) This is a first, so we're working through some kinks, but I think think we're back online. So, uh, speak. okay, returning to the celiac story. So, uh, last year, uh, I was in my first year of medical school, and I was rounding with um, some endocrinology docs, and they had a new inpatient type 1 come through, and now it's basically standard of care to run a, uh, a celiac antibody test really now, um, in newly wow. diagnosed type ones, and, mm-hmm. which is amazing. So they're finding out, you know, that it's actually on the same um, immune presenting cell, the same the same antigen. It's it's amazing. Have, Very you, cool. have you been tested for it? I haven't been tested, but I haven't presented any symptoms. So what are the symptoms? So hives, obviously. Yeah, hives. Um, you know, G, GI distress. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, very, that was cool that you brought that Wait, up. Wait, are you asking what the symptoms of celiac are? Well, yeah, and I can, yeah. So I can tell you that. Go ahead, yeah, yeah, go ahead. please. Some people get hives like me, but a lot of people just have severe gastrointestinal and like discomfort and pain. Mm. Um, in children, it's what they used to call failure to thrive. So right. you basically can't absorb the nutrients from your food, so you just don't do well at all. Hmm. No, it basically it basically just chops off the the villi in your gut to where you can't absorb yeah. anything. It's really 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 tough. But then as soon as you remove the uh, the gluten uh, antigens, it, everything fixes itself. I it's may back. try this. I may try this test. I mean, I've had random hives for quite some time. But I mean, it's I I don't know how often I eat gluten. I don't have to. Yeah. How much How much do you eat bread? I well, I don't eat bread very often. Hmm. I mean, I purposely... it's not just bread. I mean, bread is only the most obvious thing. So yep, pa- it's, it's any sort of pasta, and I'm telling you, flour is in everything. Like everything <laughs> is breaded with it. So, like, there's only the only way to know is to actually eradicate that from your diet, which is a major commitment. Like, right? You know, I always think, now it's so trendy. So people are like, oh, I'm gluten free. I'm gluten free, and then they're eating like a wrap, and I'm like, you know, no. that wrap is a tortilla made out of flour, right? You know? <laughs> so. You know, if you have to get, I would tell, I tell people it's a biblical curse. Like I wouldn't do this to myself if I didn't have to, but, um, if you, you know, if you're really sensitive, you, you have to get serious about being careful about what you eat. Well, I think that, okay. So here's a random, just kind of throwing a wrench in things. We've talked about this with some of our friends and everybody's experienced it differently depending on when, how old they were, when they were diagnosed. But did you ever eat sugar-free candy? Do you um, eat sugar-free? No, candy? not really, because first of all, it tastes crappy and it's full of chemicals. Um, <laughs> right? Did it upset your stomach so at any point? Not really. No. Um, okay. it, you know, and it also, and here's the problem: it still has carbs, right? Yeah. So it still yes. Your blood More sugar. carbs than regular stuff yeah. sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. We mentioned this and, all the um, time. Yeah, I used to get. I used to get loads of that stuff around Halloween and Valentine's Day as soon as I got diagnosed. Because people are like, we still want you to enjoy the holiday after you got diagnosed with diabetes. And uh, yeah, it was it, it didn't, didn't do the blood sugar any favors. Or the stomach. <laughs> well, so and then the other problem is, and we just did a post about this recently, a guest post about sorbitol. Oh, yeah. So these, these um, sugar alcohols, I mean, they're basically engineered to be like indigestible. Right. So, you know, if you have a really strong stomach, I guess you can handle it. But for a lot of people, it just totally upsets your stomach. So, you know, a lot of these sugar-free drinks and these like bars, like the protein bars that I like, like, oh God, my stomach's so upset. What's the deal? It's like, it turned (laughs) out that there's, um, you know, there's this, this chemical in there that's basically making you not be able to digest the thing. So you don't get the carbs, but you also just don't, you know, it's, it's bad news. So um, I've like really gotten careful about checking labels for sorbitol as well. Mm-hmm. It's all about looking at the labels, unfortunately. 
I think that's a, yeah, that's a wise call. It's a lot of work. I it know. is a lot of work. I've been spending way too much time at the grocery store and somebody's like, why are you there for like an hour and 15 minutes? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to change my diet and you have to read everything all the way through, I feel like, if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah too much. Right. And so, and the thing about, um, so right now, obviously, gluten-free is super trendy and, you know, there's all, and everyone's like, oh, that's great because there's all these products, which is true. But as you probably know, all the products that, are, you know, the gluten is all about flour and baked goods and pasta, which is all the carb products that, mm-hmm. you know, we as type ones don't want to eat a lot of anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really try to do more protein and vegetables and, you know, stay away from those carb products anyway, you know. So the thing is, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's gluten-free, so it's extra healthy, so I can, you know, have have all this stuff. But, I mean, it's made from rice and potatoes, so it's, you know, they're carb bombs. Most right. of those gluten-free products are carb bombs. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you were talking about you have three, three daughters, um, and yeah. I'm asking because I, I just found out about uh, Trial Nut, um, about oh, how yeah. you can have your children tested or family members. Do you, are, has that ever been a concern for you? Or, I mean, yeah. Oh, so that's an interesting question. Um, my husband and I talked about this a lot, and we <laughs> decided a number of years ago not to do it mm. for us okay. personally because mm-hmm. all, and I know it, like, it would be a good thing to do in the name of science, but for us, personally in our family, I mean, they give you what they do is they give you a percentage, you know, Mm -hmm. this child has 50% chance, this child has 72% chance of developing, you know, diabetes. And we just like looked at each other and said, that's just going to make us so paranoid. And, um, like we didn't, we were, we felt like we're happier without that, without that risk portfolio that would just make us nervous. And, um, you know, obviously I know what to look for when my kids are sick and they're like, mom, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. You know, I start, panicking (laughs) so I have tested their fingers you know sometimes when they were um you know feeling dehydrated or something but Mm -hmm. thankfully um yeah we we just kind of felt like we need I mean I my life as you know it's all about diabetes like 24 7 (laughs) and like I just some headspace from it is important when it comes to my family it really helps me that I don't have to be so you know thinking about that every minute and can you speak to that balance a little bit more because people always ask me you know what what specialty are you looking into um, are you interested in endocrinology and for me I'm a, I'm a little interested but then there's the whole idea of like going to work with what you deal with basically yeah, every day mm-hmm. so is it yeah I, I was curious you know well, what's it, what's it like for you you know being in the DOC yeah, being know, a leader it sort of happened to me by accident I mean right. I had so one thing is I was diagnosed pretty you know as a mature person, I was 37, so I already had this whole other life uh, <laughs> and right. career yep. before. So, I mean, that helped a little bit, um, you know. And then, you know, sometimes it feels like a bit much. I mean, when I do go on these trips, and that's why I was so annoyed that this happened in Vegas, because, you know, when we go away, I don't, sometimes, like, our friends will ask something, and I think, you know what? I'm, it's so kind of you to ask, but I am on vacation. I do not want to think about diabetes. I just want to go, right. like, you know, enjoy. So there's, you know. <laughs> But thank you. But I mean, I guess what actually really helped me too is that, um, you know, having had this whole life before and then having this giant change, I, it was overwhelming. And I, it, it's such a good feeling to feel like you can, you're helping in some way that you oh, can for sure. maybe make a difference. Like, you know, as opposed to other jobs that I've had in the past where, you know, it was just a job. And But this is like, this is my life, you know. Uh, and you're passionate about I it. I care about this in a way that I maybe didn't care about selling other kinds of products or, right. you know what I mean? Just, 
I mean, it just, it feels so, and, you know, I've met the most amazing people through this whole community, Mm -hmm. and I get to go to these cool events where we talk about advocacy and how can we help families, and, you know, so there's this great sense of satisfaction of, you know, kind of paying it forward, you know, Mm-hmm. wanting to be part of the solution, you know? So so that's a great part of it. Mm. <laughs> but on a personal level, yes, there's definitely days where I'm like, oh, I'm so done thinking about this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we you can imagine, like, Mike and myself, and we get constantly get things, can, you know, try this app, or, you know, you know can right. get on our software, can you test this, can you test that? And, you know, I try to be polite about it, but it's been 11 years of just with my head in this all the time. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've unplugged to a certain degree where I'm just like, you know what? I cannot try every, you know, data platform and every app myself. I'll go insane, you know. I, right. I need to be able to back up from it a little bit, you know. That's what we asked Mike whenever we had him on a few months back. We're like, we're like, how do you have any consistency in your diabetes management yeah. when you're trying out a new product every week, it seems like. And he was yeah. like, you know, um, I don't know. I just figured it out. And it, it was. He's good at it too. Yeah, we, we love we love the fact that you guys do that. The, mm-hmm. You mentioned the newspaper thing. I think that's what attracted all of us into the site, Diabetes Mind, was because it did it. It was a critical eye, um, but it was also this you know editorial eye in mm-hmm. the cartoons. I mean, I think it's yeah the the newspaper idea. You could tell that there was somebody there that was highly involved in journalism. <laughs> You know, from the get go. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. I know we're a little old school that way, both of us. But you know, we kind of were like, yeah, just you know, I guess the idea is like, what would we want to read? What would we be looking for? You know, you try to create something that appeals to you, and you figure, well, and you know, the way I figure it too, like stuff we report on, I think, well, if this is new to me and I've been doing this for eleven years now, then you know, then it's got to be interesting news to other people as well. Because if, you know, if I spend all my time thinking about and reading about this stuff and something comes along and I go, wow, that's really interesting and new, you know, then I'm like, okay, there's going to be a lot of other people out there who feel the same way. Like, you know. Well, it doesn't feel like on the site that you're reporting every single bit of research news. Mm -hmm. I feel like you get the most applicable research news. So you guys have a little bit of perspective. You guys can provide context to the research news, which, which helps. But it, it simplifies it for us because sometimes it's hard to keep up with the, uh, the technology is rolling so fast that if, if you don't pay attention for six months, it passed yeah. by. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, so a couple of things there. I mean, one is that was the whole idea behind diabetes mind from the beginning that like I thought, well, try to help people sort through. Cause I remember going to Google and typing in some term and getting, you know, 1.3 million hits and just going, Oh my God, this is, <laughs> And like none of it answered my actual real question, you know. Right. Two days so later, it was like, how can we help? Like, look at stuff and say, okay, so some press release came out, which is obviously a very a marketing tool, mm-hmm. and they're going to make something sound amazing. So, what does that actually mean? Like, is this something we should care about? And you know, so we were trying to give that, you know, help people make sense of stuff. Um, and on the technology side, the other thing I should tell you guys is that. Um, so the Innovation Summit, um, which we've been doing since 2011, you know, obviously, suddenly there was this big upsurge in all of this technology, the algorithms, the do-it-yourselfers. So um, I guess it was 2013, we decided, wow, like, we should have a forum for these people to kind of get together because it's, you know, these entrepreneurs, and it obviously started with these couple of D-dads out there who created the Night Scout, what became Night Scout, um, so we had this forum, we called it the Diabetes Mind D Data Exchange, and we did it as like a pre-date of the summit, and that has now grown into a biannual event. We do it um, in June um, in association with that big ADA meeting, and then 
in the fall as a pre-day to our summit. And that is literally where the We Are Not Waiting hashtag was uh, born. Yes. Out of that yep. first meeting. And it was Howard Luck of Tidepool who kind of summed it. After we had this day of people sharing and, you know, talking about all these amazing projects and how they were just taking the technology and doing meaningful things with it, he summed it up by saying, you know, hashtag We Are Not Waiting. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that became like the rally cry. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's a great rally cry because it gets right at basically the the frustration of every single person that's been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes probably mm-hmm. since 1990. You know, I mean, it's because it, you're always hearing, you always heard it, you know, as a kid, and when's the next cure coming? It's going to be within this many years. But, and I love that hashtag. I think it eloquently gets after the heart of it, for right. sure. Yeah, and to me, like, it goes back to that whole idea of, like, gosh, why can't, you know, the medical device people, like, get more in step with consumer technology? Why can't, like, the technology is there to do all these things, but they were kind of sitting on it. So it's like our community is like, nope, we're not waiting for you to do it. We're just doing it ourselves. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Gives fuel for a lot of startup companies with that type of mentality, which Uh is awesome for us. All right. So as we close down this conversation, and thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, It's been been a good talk, Amy. I'm um, going to try to Put your feet to the fire in a, in a funny way, in a funny way, before before we let you off the hook. Um, so what is the latest year that you, or what is the what is the minimum year you could envision yourself with an artificial pancreas on? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> because being involved as I am, I would probably wear the first, you know, clunky one like I did with the Dexcom when it first came out, like the very first yeah, yeah. one that, that wasn't waterproof and you had to calibrate it with this certain, like, with this, only had one meter and it had like a, you know, a cable. It was super uncomfortable and all that, but I was like, I'm an early adopter. I'm going to try this no matter how I'm hard doing it. it. <laughs> I'm doing it. So, you know, that's me. But if you're asking me, like, when would, like, sort of a commercial, more commercial yes. product come out? I mean, it looks like it's only 2018. I mean, that's pretty close, actually. I will tell you more after our D-Data event in June, because we're focusing a lot on these AP systems that are sort of getting really close to becoming commercialized. So So close. So close. Yeah. Exciting. Hey, well, thank you. For, for being honest with us and, and sharing some time. We appreciate it, Amy. Yeah, and, thank and, you so much, Amy. Yeah. And keep... Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks for making it happen. Sorry about the little glitch in between, but hey, no um, it was so great talking to you. Keep oh. doing what you're doing. You're making a difference. Thanks. You guys, too. I love what you do. Hey, we'll <laughs> Thanks. Do. Thanks. It's all about conversations. We need to talk to each other. So, I so agree. Oh, I no agree. Doubt. So Just real talk. Well, enjoy your yeah. sunny day in California. Thank you. I will. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Bye. Take Bye. Care, you guys. Yeah, we'll do you too. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Is a pricker and the pumper is pumping. Beats like Wilford Brimley keeps coming in. Nothing says commitment like going online, writing a review under an anonymous name for a podcast you really love. <laughs> because that's what we're asking you guys to do, and two people did it this week. And that makes us so happy. So thank you, listeners, for supporting the show, going over to iTunes, uh, giving us any kind of rating that you want, zero stars, five stars. Uh, The more ratings we get, the higher we bump up into iTunes and the more people who get to listen to the show. So thank you for everybody who makes it over there and has made that happen. And we have a special shout-out to one of our listeners who won this week's iTunes Review Contest, the name being T1 Twin Mom. Okay, pretty cool. Her, her, uh, 
Her title of the review was a must-listen, and she gave us five stars. Here's the review. As a parent of twins with type 1 diabetes, I count on this podcast to inspire, encourage, inform, and amuse, and it never lets me down. I anxiously await every episode, and I'm so thankful Amber and Ryan devote their time and energy creating this gem. Keep up the great work. Hey, big shout out. Thank you, T1 Twin Mom. This is why we do it. Uh, we, we love the community, and uh, we're passionate about type 1 diabetes. So thank you for, for dropping us a line. Get in touch with us at info at diabetesdailygrind.com. Send us an email. We'll exchange addresses, and we will send you our gear, including a real-life diabetes podcast t-shirt. We'll send you uh, some other cool swag, maybe a, a pair of amber shoes. Okay, very good. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. Um, it was a great show. We appreciate Amy T for joining us. Again, check her out on diabetesmind.com. We also appreciate all the likes, all the shares, all the follows on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're there. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us uh, and join a conversation, we will react to your tweet, or at least Amber will, in at least five minutes after you mention us. I mean, I don't know if that's a guarantee, but it's pretty close to that. Uh, check us out on Twitter or Instagram at Diabetes Grind. That's another show. Let's wrap it up. Uh, to that, we say cheers to the highs and lows, everybody. Have a great week. Little thing called diamond